This is in, interesting because to me this is very, this was uh, uh, something that fascinated me. Why did the Buddha teach this as his, his basic, his kind of essential teaching of suffering? Because you, you, we're coming from the background that I'm from, Christian um, background, where you, the idea of love is kind of the, the kind of the most inspiring thing you can teach, you know, the love and forgiveness, compassion, and uh, these are these are very very inspiring. Uh, when you when you uplift the mind, you talk about these kind of ultimates, <coughs> love and compassion. But the Buddha didn't establish the essential teaching on love and compassion, but on on recognizing the basic problem that we all share, which is suffering caused out of ignorance. So, during this retreat, the suffering that we experience, say, is, we're looking at it now as a noble truth rather than as something wrong or something that we want to get rid of. And in uh, just, just sitting too long, isn't it? You suffer, standing or walking or lying down too much, or uh, you know, waiting for the bell to ring, waiting for your turn in the queue for food, waiting, uh, having to sit by somebody that that uh, annoys you, having to feel cold or too hot or whatever. There's so much suffering, irritating things happening all the time. Pain in the knees, pain in the back, pain in the neck. (laughs) (laughs) Then, Then contemplate what the common suffering that we all share like uh, old age, sickness, death. We all we all are born. We get old. We get sick and die. This, this is common to all human beings. This is all co- to all creatures, in fact. We share this with the animals: birth, old age, sickness, death. We experience, uh, and then the, then the, the anguish of life, having to be with what we don't like. And that so much of our life we have to spend in in situations that we don't particularly want or don't like, have to be with people we don't want to be around, having to be in situations we, we, we are weary of or fed up with or can't stand. And so this kind of suffering is common to every human being. Then have separation from the loved, loss of the loved is uh, common form of suffering that we all share. Wanting things that we don't have yet, this is common. The kind of suffering of longing and wanting for something that we don't have. So these are just bringing our attention. We're not saying that we shouldn't have these, we shouldn't be like this, but we're now saying in meditation, we're actually investigating this, looking at what uh, not wanting something is like, or or wanting something we don't have is like, is experience, or the sense of loss, the feeling of grief and loss of the loved, or and it be a some uh, some object or some person, whatever. I mean, just we feel grief when we look, when uh, when the when the pet cat dies, isn't that or the or the or the dog, or I mean, animals that we love, and then they <coughs> die, or they get lost. We, that, that feeling of grief, of loss. Not to mention, as I say, when when somebody you know, or you heard of, or somebody close to you, like your your uh, mother and father, grandparents, spouse children and so forth, brothers and sisters, and 
this is this is common to every every human being in our lifetime we we experience this as as part of our karma so in the first noble truth we understand this suffering we we stand under it we we're not trying to avoid or or deny or resist but to totally investigating, accept, experience, fully experience suffering in a willing way rather than resist it all the time. With grief, for example, is a, a lot of grief in the human experience, even before anyone important in your life dies. You know, there's always, if you really notice, if you really look at your heart and get acquainted with yourself, you can see that just slight separations from people we love, a kind of grief, a sense of loss, of just separation. Even when we know we'll meet again, just in our language, when we we don't say, uh, we, we always have this kind of way of saying, we'll see, we'll meet again, see you again, in all languages, don't we? Sayonara, or au revoir, are all ways of saying, because it's too, too stark, too unbearable to say goodbye like it's going to be forever. Goodbye forever. You say, you say that to people that you, can't, that you don't ever want to see again. <laughs> <laughs> so and, you know when you contemplate this as experience it doesn't take it doesn't mean when your your mother dies suddenly that's grief but actually when you begin to look at the experience human experience throughout your life just as a child and, uh, when your when your father goes goes to work and you feel sense of loss. Because you, you know, a child up to a certain age, you don't understand. You think, you don't understand time. And I think the fact that he'll come home in the evening doesn't mean anything until you get to a certain age. And just the fact of his separating, going out the door away from you, is the experience of this grief. You know, so it's, it's, a, it's not such a, it's not nothing unusual it's, it's an ordinary experience but, but but it is suffering separation from the love separation from the light when we you know when we like when we understand we we attach to time then we say oh you know daddy will be back uh, in the evening and then we think that that makes us feel uh, all right because we we have this idea, we'll see him again. But but up to a certain age, children don't. That doesn't mean anything to you again. It's, uh, their emotions are very immediate to the experience. Now we say, well, we'll see you in the next lifetime. <laughs> Some, you know, if somebody dies, you know, like my, when my mother died, the Catholic, Roman Catholic funeral, priest said, now she's up in heaven with the Lord. And, and it all felt, that makes you feel good. You know, you're thinking your mother's now, you know, she's old and she was very old and it was a good thing she died because she was, life was getting uh, very difficult. So it's nice to think she's up in heaven with the Lord. That makes you feel good. And then they say, and we'll, and and probably if I'd asked me, said, when and if you become a Christian again, you'll probably meet her when you die. (laughs) 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 So we do have ways of of kind of making things soft and 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 making our hearts, making ourselves feel good and. And, and not have to bear the, the barrenness, the, the, uh, the, the rawness of suffering. So the, in, uh, now say, those with only a little dust in, in our eyes, such as all of us, 
those of us <laughs> only have a little dust, we, we, we don't want the kind of, the, kind of, um, uh, the cheap uh, kind of versions of life that, that are a bit, you know, smarmy and false and just make you temporarily feel good. We want to investigate, you know, what is life all about? What is the purpose? What is it really? So in meditation, you actually, you know, suffering is then to, to be investigated, to be examined, to be understood. To understand something, you have to accept it. You can't understand anything if you don't accept it first. You know, if you're just trying to get rid of suffering, that's, that's the natural reaction, isn't it? Pain, loss, whatever. Just, I want to get rid of it. So, that, but that, of course, is, creates more suffering because it, we, we end up just always resisting this realm that we're in. We never learn to understand it. We never learn from it if we're just resisting suffering, pain, loss irritation, frustration, and all that. And trying to f- look for maybe happiness. Uh, we find it the, the, the utopia, the place where everything, where there's no suffering. The soda water fountains. Mountains of ice cream. <laughs> Child's dream, isn't it? A place where, where you have, uh, just everything's pleasant and 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 mummy's there and daddy's there and God is there and and little bunny rabbits and beers <laughs> these kind of things that make you feel good. <laughs> Idea of, of, of everything you like being there. Nothing you don't like, no kind of slimy toads or <laughs> or slugs or uh, poisonous snakes or ugly things. But the realm that we live in is is has both, isn't it? It has the it, ha- it has the the beautiful birds and the flowers and the trees and the mountains and the and all the rest of it. But it has also the other, yeah. the ugly stuff, the pain, the loss, the frustration, the irritation. So, understanding suffering. So in this retreat, we're preparing ourselves to, to, to really understand suffering. To, to really, when, you, when you're suffering, really consciously determine to accept this experience, whether it's physical or mental, emotional. <coughs> Which is like what I call embracing it. It's like or some people I'll call honoring it. Uh, but whatever you, whatever word you want to use to help you kind of accept it, that's what we're doing. It's like this. Uh, grief is like this. Pain is like this. Loss is like this. Irritation, frustration, exasperation feels like this. Wanting something, not wanting something is like this. So then in the, in the beginning, the, f- the first part of this retreat, so far, we're just training, to, training ourselves to be present, to, to develop ways of paying attention to what's happening now, such as the reflection on the, on the posture, the uh, mindfulness of the breath, the sound of silence, the body, the sensations of the body, sweeping through the sensations, uh, really examining the body as experience in its sensitive state. And so, another attitude towards uh, conditionality is uh, metta, or loving-kindness, which is uh, uh, 
means it's like unconditioned love. It's not the metta is it has no. You don't have more metta for uh, the the nice things and and not as much for the bad things. It's 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 evenly distributed. The devils, the angels, uh, our beloved friends, and and our uh, detested enemies. Metta is the, the attitude of metta or kindness or unconditioned love, patience, non-aversion. We're developing, and which is a, a way that we then can accept pain, and and disappointment, and failure, and blame, and persecution, and abuse, and and um, all these experiences that we we can have in a lifetime with metta, which is non-aversion, patience, unconditioned love. When we practice metta, then we start. It's always may I be may well, our translation of it is may I abide in well-being. So you're starting with with yourself. And sometimes it's easier to have metta for others than for yourself. And it's easier to have metta for people you don't know than sometimes people you know. Like I found sometimes it's easier to have metta for five billion Chinese over in China than some of the monks and nuns here at Amramati. Because <laughs> <laughs> five billion Chinese right now over in China aren't any threat to m- me at this moment. <laughs> but monks and nuns I'm living with can be really irritating. <laughs> so, so this this, this metta is, uh, but applied to yourself, is doesn't mean it. It, it means a, a, an attitude of acceptance and patience with the way it is. Now, how many of you do have a hard time accepting your moods, your emotions? You know, how many of you have been able to sit through this retreat so far and just be completely patient and accepting of everything you've been feeling? And emotional things, you know, like, like, like anger or, or resentment or, or um, aversion. They kind of, or the little petty things like, like some like if you if you're a person that, that wants doesn't want to be petty or mean-hearted or nasty or uh, or that then then when we have these kind of thoughts little petty thoughts and kind of nasty feelings there's a lot of resistance to it isn't there at least it, and I'm speaking from my own experience I mean I'm a man that likes to you think in terms of being grand and kind of great gestures and and great experiences and pettiness, mean-heartedness, nasty feelings, uh, spitefulness, and that are emotions that I don't want and don't like. So when they do come in, when the, when I uh, there's a tremendous resistance to those those kind of emotions. And a feeling of guilt, a feeling of, you know, this is bad. I shouldn't. I shouldn't be like this. I shouldn't have these kind of thoughts. So metta then also is applied to that. It's 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 non-judgmental. It's it, it's a patient acceptance of something the way it is. If it's nasty and petty and mean and silly and stupid, then it is totally accepting of that, and it's it's willing. To accept that in the present doesn't mean we like or approve, but it means we can accept it 
we embrace it and that allows us to understand it to see it in terms of the first noble truth so applying that to your own uh, practice say uh, of, of willingness to let into consciousness maybe emotions that you think you can't bear or that you think or you, you shouldn't have if you were a good and decent person you wouldn't have petty mean-hearted nasty little thoughts or or uh, you know really maniacal ones one time somebody i told somebody that i understood the the desire to kill somebody they were very upset. They think, how could Ajahn Sumedho ever have such a... <laughs> and you project that I'm some kind of saint, I imagine. Well, I know I felt... I mean, I can understand, you know, murder. <laughs> 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 I mean, I've never committed murder, but I've certainly had feelings like I wanted to commit it sometimes. <laughs> But that isn't a, that. But then I could feel guilty about that. But I, uh, I determined not to, but to understand these these emotions. And understanding them means to accept them, and they are anicca dukkha nata. You see them when you accept them, and you can see them for what they are. If they're stupid and silly, or they're intelligent, they're refined, they're grand, or they're mean and nasty, they, but they're still, all conditioned phenomena is, all sankaras are anicca and anatta. So you, you're reflecting on this. Not as, it not, doesn't mean dismissing or denying the, the quality. Nothing to do with, with it being good or bad or, or wise or stupid. Because wise thoughts and stupid thoughts are anicca dukkanata. Nasty, mean-hearted emotions, as well as guilt, as well as grand vision and altruism, uh, in terms of thought and memory, are still anicca dukkanata. So you, in this way, you can have metta for which uh, for whatever you're thinking or feeling means it's a, it's a, a skillful means to to relate to and respond to the experience in the present. Just like the the uh, having like 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 jealousy and that is a story I tell about feeling this uh, feeling having problem with jealousy the emotion of jealousy and then and then trying and feeling very guilty and and hating this emotion <coughs> trying to get rid of it this was in my early years in thailand trying to trying to uh, get rid of this jealousy because i was ashamed of it i don't want to be a jealous person and i hate that emotion and i can't stand it and I don't want it. So then, whenever I start feeling this emotion, there would be so much desire to get rid of it. So then somebody said, Mudita, that's the way to get rid of jealousy, which is a joy, sympathetic joy. One of the Brahma Vihara. They practice Mudita, and you'll get rid of jealousy. So I practiced Mudita, and I didn't get rid of jealousy. <laughs> You're just trying to pretend, you know. I'm, you know, that you're just trying to to kind of whitewash over something, that, uh, and and it didn't work on that level of just trying to to pretend that I'm I really ha- have sympathy and joy for somebody that I'm jealous of. <laughs> then, on further investigation, I began to see the problem was really with the aversion jealousy. That was the real problem. That, that this is always this resistance to it. And, 
and trying to get rid of it. That was the suffering I was creating. Once I saw that, and then once I saw, I stopped doing that. I stopped resisting, trying to get rid of it, and hating myself for having it. And I began to just feel it. And then I actually found jealousy not such a problem. There's a natural human emotion that comes and goes, and don't make it into a problem. But it, it, but it, it but they say in the beginning, you know, I I was a monk, and I wanted to be a good monk. Didn't want to be a, and I thought a good monk shouldn't be jealous. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the ideal monk, you know, the kind of saint that that's full of loving kindness and compassion all the time. Never has thoughts of murder. <laughs> well, that's an ideal, and that's a, that that's a, you know a projection of an ideal of a superlative <coughs> in the mind. But life, in terms of human experience, is like this. We have these, we have some very basic drives and sexual drives, and and we have violent tendencies, and we have. All kinds of uh, kind of instinctual tendencies that come with with birth in such a form, a human uh, a physical form as this, and so these are, uh, you know, as much as coarse and as maybe as frightening as some of these uh, impulses and energies and conditions might be. It's only through understanding them that we're liberated from their power. Because as long as we uh, refuse to to really uh, accept them, then uh, then we, we end up just suppressing. So then it breaks out into into violence, into war. And how can how can you know we look at in this century that's passed, First World War, Second World War, and all the other wars, uh, of supposedly civilized nations of people who should, uh, you know, who subscribe to things like peace and democracy and, and communism and socialism and, and uh, all the kind of ideals of the, uh, fine-sounding fine ideals. <coughs> And yet, in practice, in, in daily life, we can we can uh, commit atrocities, torture, rape, and do the most horrendous and violent acts, demonic acts. And it's not because, and it is because of not understanding ourselves, not understanding the the forces, the drives, the the nature of the mind, that we, that we have this potential and that we do do these, these uh, violent things. When we understand, then we don't. We don't, uh, we have, we, you know, we might have those impulses, but we, we don't, uh, we're, we're no longer, those, those impulses no longer have power to delude us. Because we see things for what they are, we know, we understand the human condition. So we're, we're, we're wise. We're developing wisdom, so that the the kind of demonic forces we can still experience, but they have no power to delude us. So. In this retreat now, when you're, wh- when things do come up and, and uh, emotions <coughs> and fears and desires and so forth uh, do start coming into consciousness, don't think of it as some kind of, of uh, something wrong, something bad, but see it as purification. It's a chance to investigate suffering, dukkha understand it and to release yourself, uh, liberate yourself from your habitual reactives, reactivity to suffering.
the second noble truth is the is the truth of the causes of suffering. So this is based on desire, and this is very interesting uh, to contemplate desire uh, because desire is an energy, and then we we all have desire. There's a desire realm that we're living in. I mean, we have we see things and beautiful things, we desire them. We see ugly things and we desire to get rid of them. We have desires to become things that we are not. You know, a desire to become, to, for, we have ambition, there's a desire to become something better than what you think you are. You know, desire for power, desire for wealth, desire for fame, desire for happiness. Always wanting something that we don't have, or wanting to get rid of what we have that we don't want. So, the the second noble truth is to let go of desire, which is the cause of suffering. That not desire, desire is not the cause, but the attachment to desire. Grasping desire is the cause of suffering. So, in order to let go of desire, you have to know what desire is, as experience, not just not just the definition, think you understand what desire is because you understand the word, but really know it as experience. This, this, that, that, that energy that we have that always wants something or wants to get rid of something. It's like wanting to get rid of jealousy is a desire. Isn't it? It's called vipavadanha, or dhanha is the Pali word for desire. Uh, desire to get rid of. So I was caught in a desire to get rid of jealousy, attached to the desire to get rid of jealousy, which just created more suffering. When you uh, say like emotions like anger or, or in celibate life, where we, we live a celibate life, the, the summoners here, so sexual desire wanting to get rid of it or suppress it, uh, being frightened of sexual desire because of our, our celibate uh, commitment. Is that what celibacy means? Is, is we, we create a lot of desire to get rid of sexuality? Or do we use this is celibacy of a helpful mirror for sexuality. That's something to contemplate. Because it's just suppression uh, which is based on desire to get rid of something. That doesn't work. That just makes you neurotic and, and miserable. So, obviously, that that it isn't through suppressing desire, but through Understanding, knowing desire is desire, recognizing it. Because that part of us that can recognize and know isn't desire. Desire is something you can observe. It's an object. It's not what you are. You're not desire. A desire can't see another desire. <laughs> but, but you can actually see and observe, witness, understand, recognize, realize desire. Any kind of desire, whether it's sensual desire, whether it's desire for becoming or desire for getting rid of. So notice like, like this, uh, a lot of resistance that we have to things. And like anger, resistance and, and trying to get rid of bad thoughts, trying to get rid of of uh, of jealousy or bad feelings, whatever that that resistance. What is it? You start observing it. You start noticing this this desire to get rid of, to prevent, to resist, to deny, to push away, to run away. So then you, be, you, you, you study it. You're not just trying to say, get rid of, you're trying to get rid of the desire to get rid of. 
that's hopeless, isn't it? You just run around in circles with that. It gets complicated. You get the desire to get rid of, the desire to get rid of, the desire to get rid of. <laughs> so instead of seeing desire as something to get rid of, it's something to, to recognize, know what it's like. So in, in my own practice, I have studied. I feel, I know, I know when desire, what it's like when it becomes conscious. You become an expert on desire. So that when, when, that, when, it, when it arises, when it's there, you know it. You, you're, you're no longer... You, you, you no longer can be deluded by desires through recognizing, through studying, examining the experience of desire. And through that, then you, you have the insight into letting go, not following, not grasping, letting go of these three kinds of desire. So in they list three kinds: gama dhanha, sensual desire, like through the senses, seeing something uh, beautiful and, and a desire to have it, or sound, smell, taste, touch, or the bhava uh, uh, dhanha, desire for becoming, desire to to become something. And then even in monastic life, we have desires for becoming. Becoming teachers, becoming seniors, becoming... uh, um, Getting to that, we can be quite ambitious. Even though we're alms mendicants in that, we get get a lot of attention and, and praise and and that creates desire for becoming, becoming a maestro or something. <laughs> 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 or even becoming enlightened. Desire to become enlightened doesn't help if you're just lost in desire. And so bhavadana, desire for becoming, it's ambition. It's, want, it, it's like, I'm not good enough the way I am now, and I've got to practice now on this retreat, in order to become somebody who's enlightened in the future. That's how we're conditioned to think. Is like my, my thinking money, I'm not good enough the way I am now. And if I practice hard and go on enough meditation retreats and devote my life as a Buddhist monk, and, and maybe I will become enlightened in the future. That's, that's Bawadanha, operating. So operating from bawadanha or desire to become, uh, and you don't see it for what it is. You don't understand desire. Then, you know, after years of meditation retreats and and monastic life and renunciation and all the rest, if you've never detected or understood bawadanha, you still, you know, you feel what a disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll go out and disrobe and become a hairdresser. Or <laughs> become a therapist, that's what. <laughs> that's what many of them do. They disrobe to become therapists. So. The uh, so bawadanha is to be understood. What does it feel like? This is a question. What does it feel like? The sense of I want to. I want to become something else. Is it based on a, on the on the idea that I am something now? And I and I want to be get something that I don't have yet, become something that I'm that I don't feel I am yet. I want to become an expert or become something something that I imagine would be. And in worldly life, that works. You you become because worldly 
conditions uh, operate on on the, in that way. So when you're caught in the worldly uh, attitudes, and that's then that that's how you experience life, always through becoming something. But in terms of spiritual, it doesn't it doesn't work. You don't become enlightened. It is not. It doesn't work like that. What you're actually doing is you're being enlightened in the present. The more you awaken to the way it is, the more you open yourself in the present, you're not becoming somebody who's enlightened. You're actually being that way, using enlightenment as a means rather than trying to become someone who's supposed to be called enlightened. It's not the way it works. Even though they use that in even in scriptures they say things like became enlightened in terms of uh, actual uh, meditation experiences it's not like that you don't become that way and then the Vipavadana desire to get rid of so there's, there's a lot of things we want to get rid of anger, get rid of jealousy get rid of fear, get rid of desire, get rid of uh, um, everything you know that that we think is the, the defilements. Get rid of the kilesas. Get rid of the nivaranas. Get rid of the hindrances. Get rid of the obstacles. And we have these words: obstacles, uh, defilements, hindrances, and we want to get rid of them because that's how the worldly mind thinks, isn't it? If you've got an obstacle, you get rid of it. A hindrance, something you get rid of. Defilement, you get rid of it. So this this vipavadana is easily is a kind of righteous feeling too. It makes you feel you're doing the right thing by getting rid of every these bad things. It seems right to get rid of bad things, doesn't it? But th- that's based on vipavadana or desire to get rid of. So you know, you notice, you study, I know what it's like to feel I want to get rid of. I can't stand this, I don't want this, I don't like this. I want to get rid of this, I want to get rid of this emotion, get rid of this thought, get rid of this situation. So then this investigation of desire understanding of desire, knowing desire as desire. That knowing is a direct knowing. So it's it's not it's uh, it's not it's not the kind of knowing you, you get from studying definitions of dunha or various interpretations of somebody else of some of various Buddhist books. But it's the direct knowing desire gamma dunha, bhava dunha, vipavadana and feeling it, knowing the what it's like when when that's present, and the and the grasping of that desire, because the insight into the second noble truth is letting go of desire, letting go is is not getting rid of. It's like letting go, like this bell. I'm not getting rid of this bell. I'm just letting go of it. I'm putting it down. <laughs> Still there. You might think letting go is like getting rid of it. So I, you know, I throw it out the window. What good is that? That's <laughs> 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 yeah, a nice bell. I like the the the, uh, the sound of it. No, and it's not because I'm attached and and have a desire for this bell. But it is it is useful uh, for certain situations, so it can be kept. But it, but it isn't isn't like uh, based on desire and attachment, because one is you're 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 studying, investigating, examining this this sequence: desire, dana, ubadana. Ubadana is the Pali word for uh, grasping. Grasping like this, hat. 
grasping this, and grasping with the mind. So letting go isn't vipavadanha. It's based on wisdom, understanding, insight into suffering and the and and desire and grasping desire. And then it's like once you realize when you grasp fire it hurts, you let go of the fire. And then, well, once you understand that grasping desire hurts, you let go. You don't you don't you know, you 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 don't have to be uh, told to let go of fire, do you? It hurts, so you let go of it. See, even <laughs> because you really feel it, you know the result of grasping or holding on to it anymore is increased amount of pain, unnecessary pain and misery. So then, so this is this is the Buddha's teaching on on suffering, using the common experience of suffering and desire. These are common to all of us. These are not metaphysical teachings of, uh, or, or you know something that is secret and esoteric and and uh, and remote or distant or reserved only for the initiated. Even though we are special because we only have a little dust in our eyes. But anybody could come on this, I mean, as much as you can, you know, take on, we can allow in this room, uh, but we're certainly not into, you know, we don't have a special club that we let into these, very into my retreats, special people, initiates, into the Ajahn Sumato retreat. <laughs> <laughs> Some of you, I don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's the it's like asking, like Upalad's uh, uh, asking, you know, for for a talk, a desana. So then that asking, then one can can give talks on the four noble truths, on the Dhamma. So during this retreat, you know, see, the, just to, to encourage you to, to learn how to relate to the suffering you're experiencing, be it physical or, or emotional. This, um, and this, to understand, to accept to embrace. We can see so much of, of you know, uh, when, we, when we do have uh, in retreat situations where we have to be <coughs> silent and be with ourselves and our minds for long periods of time, how how many you know unpleasant things can come into consciousness, and and so that is to to see that and welcome it rather than to endlessly try to resist it. Uh, this this sense of of a spacious mind wel- welcoming experiences rather than a, a mind that's always trying to control your conscious experience so that the bad things can't <coughs> get in and, and you try to hold on to the good stuff. There is room for that, like developing concentration practices and developing skillful means to concentrate the mind on on positive objects. It's, you know, is is one you know, is one way of, of uh developing concentration then that uh, ha, ha, but that's not going to liberate you it's merely going to give you some uh, concentrated experiences refining consciousness to get it a little more refined than, than, than it ordinarily is 
which is uh, uh, like a physical exercise, like doing yoga or something with your body, just so you can uh, develop some, you know, good health or, or uh, uh, ta- you know, take the stiffness and the the uh, the pain and the uh, uh, pro- uh, uh, out of your physical body. You do physical exercises, like samatha meditation is like that. It's like mental exercise. So it's a good kind of mental practice. But then in terms of vipassana or insight, then we're, we're, we're no longer controlling, but uh, embracing the moment. So we, we don't need to control anymore. So even the, the, the uh, repressed emotions, the fears, the desires, the, the, the whole gamut, of emotional experience, whatever, from good to bad, refined to coarse, is seen and witnessed in terms of anicca dukkanata. And by doing this, then we also get over our fear and and guilt and all these these things that we bring with us. The fear of anger, the fear of of our desires, the fear of our our emotional habits, the fear of our kind of primordial instinctual drives, the fear of our bodies, the fear of the world around us. If if we're just trying to control, then we never we know we're always going to be frightened. Fear will pursue us. But through understanding the way things are, through these, through investigating of these these noble truths, four noble truths, then then you develop a fearless mind because there's wisdom now rather than ignorance, and you know how to deal with temptation, with evil forces, with anger with with uh, uh, sexual desires, with all the rest of it. You know, you, you know it and you understand it. So it can't delude you anymore. So you, need, you don't fear it. So in the suttas, in the Buddha, after his enlightenment, Mara, who is uh, the tempter in the, in the scripture, Mara decides, I'm going to see if I can tempt the Buddha, see if he's a real Buddha or not. So even after years, uh, after Buddha's enlightenment, Mara still have a go at the Buddha. <laughs> so Mara come and try to, try to do something, tempt the Buddha in some way, and the Buddha, his response was always, I know you, Mara. It wasn't uh, anger, aversion. It wasn't Vipavadana towards Mara. It wasn't disgust, aversion. I didn't punch him in the nose <laughs> or, or spear him through the heart. It is, I know you, Mara. The, the Buddha knows so the, that Mara has no power to delude through the knowing, through this direct knowing. But this realm that we live in is still, you know, a very has its high impact, as they say, modern jargon. It's a uh, it's high impact experience being a human being, <laughs> and it goes on and on until you die. In my age, you still you still re- reaping the results of previous actions and have it. So, you, you know, you do get tested all the time. You get, you get, you know, even after years of, of monastic life and meditation, there's certain part, times when certain things ripen and happen. And if you're not prepared for that, then it can be quite a, quite a uh, frightening or disappointing or depressing experience. Or it can be, I know you, Mara. 
then the the the, the realization, say, of the second of the third and fourth noble truth, realizing the cessation, or realizing non-suffering in the present, realizing the deathless. This is the this is the you know, the aim of these Four Noble Truths. The Fourth Noble Truth, or the Eightfold Path, is the way, it's called the path, it's the way of non-suffering, which means the the way of realizing the deathless. Because our, our, our conscious experience of life is then, uh, includes the deathless. We're not just caught in the in the endless uh, proliferations and changingness of the conditioned experiences that we have through the body and through the senses. So I offer this as a reflection for this evening. Um,